Well, everybody, looks like this week we're thinking about fishing. We've got the story of Jonah, his conversion of the city of Nineveh, just after he's been swallowed by a big fish and stayed in its belly for three days and then been spat onto dry land. We've got the story of the disciples, the first four disciples called by Jesus who leave their fishing nets and become not fishermen, but fishers of men. Well, fishers of people. Sometimes there are things that work better in Old English, but we don't want anyone to think that they're left out. And then, of course, we have what's happening all around us. Yes, of course, there's a lot of political and medicinal things happening. But I'm talking about what's happening on the frozen lakes of Minnesota, where people are carving holes, dropping lines, and sitting out to ice fish. It's a little ridiculous, isn't it? They're all ridiculous, aren't there? All these stories. Jonah getting swallowed by a big fish, which biologically, as far as what we know of animals, shouldn't be possible. And then converting a whole city with the shortest sermon on record. The disciples leaving everything behind when Jesus just says, follow me. And finally, ice fishing. I mean, really. You can say a lot of things about Minnesotans, but you can't say we're not hardy and a little foolhardy. And sometimes it feels like what we're told is that we need to be ridiculous for Jesus, that we need to be weird for Christ, that we need to look a little bit like Jonah's soapbox, where we leave it all behind and we stand in the city, the evil city of Nineveh, shaking our fist and say, 40 days more and this city will be overthrown. Sometimes it seems like that is what we're expected to do. Like we're supposed to show our weirdness for Jesus as righteousness. Not just righteousness, but a little bit as self-righteousness. I've got the answers. You're all fools. And sometimes what it ends up looking like is that we're standing on a bucket in the middle of a frozen lake. We look just a little ridiculous. I think maybe what these stories are trying to offer us is not an idea where we have to turn our backs on everything we've known and simply go into the world full throttle, preaching at every moment and in every place. I think that's the way we've sometimes turned these stories, but I'm not sure that that's exactly what they're meant to do. We know that the disciples and Jonah and Paul and many other Christian leaders have been, in many ways, weird for Jesus, have looked a little foolish in service of the gospel. But when we start passing along a message that means we have to give up everything, and especially if those in leadership are telling others that they have to give up everything, we should be a little suspicious. Because you'll notice Jesus doesn't call everyone in all the boats, come and follow me. He doesn't call to everyone who has come to the Sermon on the Mount, 
come and follow me or come and be my disciples. He'll handpick only 12 that we know of to be the named 12 disciples who will become apostles, ones who are sent. He will call different people at different points in his ministry to be part of the proclamation of the good news. Sometimes those people will be invited to leave a lot of things behind. And sometimes those people will just be invited to accept the gift of healing, the gift of salvation and liberation in this life and in the next. So what does weirdness look like when it isn't about giving up everything and making ourselves look like soapbox standing fools? I think there's still some breadcrumbs in this story. After all, Jesus invites the disciples, and I think all of us, to follow, not to lead. Jesus doesn't say, come and learn from me and then teach everyone. He simply says, come and be with me, follow me, learn from me. Because the message that Jesus offers for the first disciples, for the 12 apostles that he will commission, and for all of us, is that it's not about us. It's not about the disciples' particular qualifications. It's not about the Holy Spirit granting the apostles power and therefore lifting them up as authorities. It's about God. And what does it mean for each of us, in our own big and little ways, to choose to follow and not to lead? What does it look like for each of us to choose to release perfect control over who we are and what we have? The disciples in this story will release almost everything. They give up their fishing nets, their way of income, their way of life, their family connections, all the expectations for who they were. They drop them and they follow Jesus. I'm not exactly sure what that would look like on a whole societal level. I think we'd run out of fish and food pretty soon, and the garbage trucks probably wouldn't run, if every single one of us gave up our careers and followed Jesus, just wandered around begging for uh, scraps of food and a place to sleep. Someone's got to pick up the trash and someone's got to catch and sell the fish. So I'm not sure that what this story is meant to tell us is you have to give up everything and follow Jesus. But I do think it's telling us that we will be asked to let go of some things and to release a perfect sense of control. After all, being part of a community, like a church community, being part of a family, being part of a circle of friends, means that we are giving up control on some things, means that we would rather be in relationship with the people around us than in perfect control about exactly what's happening to us. When we develop relationships with other people, whatever those relationships look like, we're inviting those people into our lives and recognizing we can't control them. We don't want them there because they're part of our master plan. We want them there because we love them. We want them there because they, when we think about church, are part of the body of Christ and the family of God. 
What does it look like for each of us in our small and big ways to follow Jesus, to be weird for Christ in ways that are not self-righteous, but are humble and keep pointing to Jesus? In a lot of ways, we will be asked to say goodbye to some things. In Christian community, we are asked to say goodbye to a lot of things that have seemed obvious. For those disciples, before they became disciples, the world had an obvious trajectory. What their careers were, what the next day was going to look like, who they would affiliate with and associate with. But in following Jesus, they end up meeting all sorts of people that they might never have met, and probably some they didn't like. They end up being willing to let go of what they were used to and step into what is good, not just for them, but for the whole. So what might we be invited to say goodbye to as we work on following Jesus? We might have to say goodbye to what we think everything should look like because it's no longer just about one person's opinion and one person's needs and wants, but about a whole group. What helps a whole community? We've been asking this question since March, when we knew that we had to find ways to worship from home in order to protect not just each individual, but the whole community because of the high risk of COVID transmission within congregational worship. We've had to ask questions a lot over the past 10 months about how we make decisions that let go of what each of us might prefer and chooses rather something that's good for the whole, for the whole community, a whole church community, a whole working community for those of us with coworkers, whole school communities for those of us who care for teachers and for, their, and for kids, and really a whole nation. What does it look like to put our individual wants aside to say goodbye to some of the things that we have assumed to be true and right because they were true and right for us and instead celebrate and seek out what can be helpful and healing for a whole community? The disciples, and maybe us, are also asked in their following of Jesus to be vulnerable to let themselves be in a place where they don't know all the answers. In, for example, our racial justice work groups work this year, as they've transitioned to meeting over Zoom and presenting during our virtual coffee hour, we've asked ourselves uncomfortable questions and talked about how we might continue to participate in the dismantling of white supremacy and racism in this country in our own churches and around the world. We continue to ask these questions because perhaps like the disciples, we're invited to be a little more vulnerable. Perhaps like someone out in the middle of Lake Minnetonka, we're asked to make ourselves a little uncomfortable for the project of fishing for people. When we ask questions, when we wonder about what it looks like to follow Jesus in ways that are not self-righteous, but are humble and point back to Christ, we also remember 
not to be resentful of the grace extended to others. Most of us, I think, have seen that Bernie Sanders meme that went around this last week, that during a very cold outdoor inauguration, he was bundled up in a good northeastern winter coat with handmade mittens knitted from reused sweaters. And he looked, well, he had a position that we Minnesotans are very familiar with. Shoulders up to his ears, arms crossed over his chest, slumped in his seat, conserving the body warmth. But he looked a little grumpy from a distance. Most likely, he was just trying to stay warm, but it's spawned many different memes, different ways we've photoshopped Bernie Sanders into all sorts of places where we might be feeling a little cold and a little grumpy. And in particular, we might see Bernie in the character of Jonah today, who is grumpy about the grace extended to the city of Nineveh. We get just a few verses this morning about Jonah's mission to his prophetic work among and his conversion of the whole city of Nineveh. We don't get the part of the story where Jonah is furious that the Ninevites believe him. He's one of the most successful prophets in history, and he hates it. He goes out to sit and sulk outside the city, hoping that God will still destroy it. He might have looked a little bit like Bernie, bundled up and grumpy and waiting for something else to happen. It's easy to be grumpy when we feel like the grace is unmerited as Jonah did when he looked at the Ninevites. It's easy to feel grumpy when we feel like someone is getting something that either we deserve or they don't. But one of the practices of humility in following Jesus and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom is that we can't be angry about who is there to receive that good news. Now, of course, we will be, we're humans, after all, and we make mistakes and we get grumpy. But we're asked each time that we feel resentful for, of the abundance and the success of others, especially those who have been left out or who were in danger of suffering. When we feel grumpy because others have received grace, we're invited as followers of Jesus to ask ourselves, is it right to be so angry? Can we practice, instead of self-righteousness, a weird kind of humility where we celebrate in the grace extended to others, even if it means change for us? Perhaps we can think of all of this as ice fishing for Jesus. Jesus called the first disciples from their spot by the shores of the sea where they were dropping in big heavy nets. But maybe the metaphor for us Minnesota Lutherans especially is to think about ice fishing. You've got to pay attention to the world around you. If the weather changes, you got to be ready. If the situation is shifting, if people around us are expressing hurt or pain or asking questions, we can't just go on as we always have. We can't just stick to our plan, but rather shift and change as we pay attention. 
we have to share our space. You can't be the only person out on the ice. And in fact, when we share with the people around us, we might find that our neighbor has a better ice auger or someone else has the better beer. When we ice fish for Jesus, if we're going to follow this pretty bad metaphor, we're also asked to invest time and energy to make ourselves go somewhere and do something that might be a little different from our day-to-day -day life. So perhaps we'll be invited in following Jesus to go to digitally by watching movies or reading books, most likely for now, to go to communities that we may not have known and listen to them and learn from them. And definitely in ice fishing for Jesus, we will ask to be asked to be a little uncomfortable. When we are following, when we are trying to practice something like discipleship, we'll be asked to go mentally, emotionally, spiritually, maybe physically, to places we're not used to, and to talk to people that we might not have otherwise crossed paths with. And we'll be asked also to take only what we need, to remember that there's a limit on the number of fish you can pull from a lake, legally and ecologically. We have to share with our neighbors and care for each other. This whole work isn't about just one person, our individual self following Jesus, but about a whole community acting together in care for each other and for God's creation. When we are thinking about being just a little weird for Jesus, maybe we can think of ice fishing. A little cold, a little uncomfortable, a little bit of work. But at the end, we might come out with a sense of satisfaction, with a renewed sense of community, and with a good meal that we can share for now with those in our bubble, and someday with a whole community again together, and someday far off and yet not too far to imagine with the whole family of God seated around a heavenly table. Let us prepare for that kind of work that prepares us to be seated at a glorious fish dinner with everyone God loves. Amen.